Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, I want to just talk a little bit about the next couple of Sundays and some special things that are taking place. And, and the first thing I want to talk about is Ima's home. Now, I just returned from there, and I told you last Sunday that I would talk a little bit more about it. And I want to, I want to make you aware of an incredible opportunity that has come our way for Ima's home, and that is to partner with One Child. Now, One Child is a worldwide organization that is devoted to helping children that are in impoverished nations. And um, I have a good friend, Jason Bentley. He's preached for us before, and he'll actually be here next Sunday. And he is a representative of One Child. He travels all over the world. And um, in this One Child program, this is this is the good part is we're going to be asking next week for just pledges to help feed and educate the children because that's what one child does. Now, I know a lot of you already give online. Uh, I'm fine with you taking a portion of what you give online to Ima's Home and pledge it to one child um, because what will happen then is one child will start sending an offering to Ima's Home every month to feed the children, to educate the children. But, but here's the part that I really love is once we've established Ima's Home as a Hope Center, that's what it's going to be called, Ima's Home Hope Center, we're going to be able to sponsor the impoverished children that are in the community around us. And this one child will be taking those children all across the nation and getting sponsors for them And then those children that are being sponsored in that neighborhood once a week will come to our property and we'll be able to have a church service with them. That's part of the enrollment is they come, they attend church, they go through training. And I just see this as an incredible way for us to reach into that community. You know that we're building a new campus and one of the things that we're doing is we're building a community center and it really is our church, but for the community, we're saying it's a center, so they'll come and be a part of it. And when those children come, they'll be fed, they'll be given groceries for the week, and uh, it will be such a blessing. Uh, For all of you that have been with me to the Philippines, you know that that little village, the two villages that we're in, we're in one village that's called Winsoseso, and then the new campus is going to be in the village of Balati. And uh, both of them are very impoverished, have a lot of needs. And I'm hoping that in the next few years, that as one child partners with us, that we'll be able to sponsor three, four, five hundred children, and they'll be coming to church on a regular basis. And I believe that God's going to do great things. Amen. So I know you guys have been so very generous in your giving to Ima's Home. I don't want you to be confused about this. We partnered with them so that we could eventually reach the community that is around us. And so next week, uh, Pastor uh, Jason Bentley will be with us. He just recently planted a church in North Carolina. 
and he's also uh, working with one child, and he'll be with us here. And uh, so we'll talk through it more next Sunday so you'll understand it. Friendswood, there'll be a booth there also, a representative there also, and you'll be, we'll be live streaming that service to you next week also. Uh, then the following Sunday is uh, Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter, and, and we're going to be talking about Easter, of course, but there's something else that's going to be taking place on Palm Sunday. You know that we're going to three campuses here very shortly, and we're going to use Palm Sunday as a Sunday to ordain our three campus pastors. Now, let me explain to you what that means. I'm still going to be the pastor. Bo's going to be the pastor. Bo and I are going to be rotating between the three campuses, but we're going to have three incredible couples that will be working at each campus as the campus pastor. And I'm really excited about Palm Sunday when we ordain them. I've been praying about this. We've been talking. We've been meeting, planning. And uh, I'm really excited about this. And, and so on Palm Sunday, you'll see a big piece of what we feel like God wants us to do in the future. So don't miss that Sunday. And then, of course, Easter Sunday is coming, and that is an amazing day. Did you know that on Easter Sunday, more people go to church in America than any other Sunday of the year? And did you know that most people, if you'll just invite them, will say yes how many of you will just pledge with me that you're going to invite somebody to church for Easter Sunday? Let me see your hand. Amen. Let's just invite people to church. Let's show up Easter Sunday, celebrate. We'll be having our celebration in Friendswood and here. Now, on Palm Sunday, Pastor Andrew will be preaching there. On Easter Sunday, I'll be here, and uh, Pastor Bo will be at Friendswood preaching. So we are looking forward to a great, great Easter service, and I believe that God has great things for us. Amen. All right, is anybody ready for the word today? Friendswood, are you ready for the word today? Here's what I would ask you to do I would ask you to take out your Bible. Now, that may mean your phone or your iPad or whatever it may mean, but take it out because I really feel to preach from a passage of scripture. And it's in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. So I'm, I'm going to endeavor to preach through 13 verses here in the next 40 minutes or so. And, and I would love for you to have your Bible out, your phone out. Uh, my sermon notes, if you would like to follow along with my sermon notes, are on the Version Bible app. And if you want to find those, open that app, go down to the little menu screen, push that, and when it comes up, it'll have a, a place where you can push on events. When you push on events, if you're online, it should bring up Life Church since you're sitting in the middle of it. If those notes don't come up, just search for Life Church HTX and all of my sermon. Every Sunday that I preach, I put my notes on that app so that you can have them, you can follow them, and you can also save them and refer back to them. So how many of you have your Bibles and are ready to read? I, I, I caught you off guard. I know, I know. I'm not going to get on to you. I'm going to give you another chance. How many of you have your Bibles and you're ready to read? Friendswood, you're ready to read. All right. So we're going to jump in and read the first five verses and then preach a little bit, go to verse six and seven, 
and uh, proceed down through verse number 13. This is Paul, and Paul is writing this letter to an incredible church in the city of Ephesus. Now, in this letter, we see that Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And as he's writing this letter, you'll kind of see the terminology that he's using. He is what people would consider a prisoner of Rome, but in actuality, he is uh, letting them know that he knows that he's in God's will and God is greater than Rome. And so as we start this, he, he, he's, he's in the, we, we've already gone through a couple of chapters and, and I don't have time to preach them, but this is what he's been talking about. He's been talking about the incredible blessings that God has for the church. He's been talking about how the church has such incredible purpose. And when we get to chapter three of the book of Ephesians, he is telling us something that is amazing. Now, we may not find it as amazing today because it's just part of our knowledge now. But as he's writing this, this is groundbreaking moments for the church and really a quite startling revelation that is taking place here in chapter 3. And I want you to see it. I want you to grab a hold of what Paul is saying here and how he is communicating what God wants to do in the world today. So let's start reading. For this reason, I, Paul... The prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how by the revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now being revealed, been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Now, let's, let's just go back, and if you will, put verse 1 back on the screen. I, I love this because right from the beginning, even though he is writing from a prison in Rome, a jail cell in Rome, he makes it known to them that I am not a prisoner of Rome, but I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. I, I want you to think about that. Think about how he is surrounded by these Roman guards. Think about how he is locked up in this cell. And yet in his heart, Paul knows that I am not here on accident. As a matter of fact, if you do a little research, you find that Paul went through a lot of lies. He went through a lot of manipulation. And as a matter, uh, he was at the point of death when he appealed to Rome and to Caesar. And, and so God brought him here and put him in this jail cell. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more when we get down to verse number 13. But, but he's telling the church in Rome, I mean in Ephesus, you may see me as a prisoner of Rome. And, and the word I'm sure had already traveled that Paul was in prison. But he's telling them, I know that Jesus is in control, amen, and that Jesus is greater than Rome. Now, I, I thought about this all week, and, and I see how many times we go through things that are difficult. Anybody here in the Houston campus ever gone through anything difficult? Let me see your hand. Anybody there in Friendswood, you've ever gone through anything difficult? Well, when we go through things that are difficult, sometimes it's hard to see how God is in it. 
It's hard to see how God has walked with us and we're still in this difficult situation. But what Paul is letting us know here as the church that when we go through difficult situations, we are still there according to the purpose that God has for us. Let's, let's talk about uh, Joseph in, in the land of Egypt. You know the story, or if you don't know the story, Joseph was a chosen child of God, and, and yet in the, the midst of his life, he's sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, and has been cast out into slavery in the land of Egypt. And, and there's a whole story about how everything happens but at the right moment, God puts him at a place of great authority. He puts him in a place of great power. And him being there actually brings about the salvation of his family because they're starving to death and they come to Egypt to get something that would feed them and help them. And that's when Joseph reveals himself. And listen to what he says in chapter 50 of the book of Genesis and verse number 20. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. Listen, there are times in our life that we have people that mean evil against us that are uh, 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 trying to fight us, trying to come against us. But when we are walking with God, how many of you know that the scripture tells us that no weapon formed against me shall prosper? Does anybody believe that today? Does anybody believe that God is able to keep us in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trial? He said, you meant it for evil, but God... Man it for good. In other words, I know these circumstances don't look good. I know that I am a slave in the land of Egypt, but I know that God meant it for good in order to bring it about as to this day to save many people. And so Paul is really saying the same thing. Hey, you see me in prison, but don't worry about that. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ so that I can preach the gospel to you Gentiles. As a matter of fact, he says there that I've been given this dispensation of grace. Now, I know that many times when we say dispensation, we're thinking about time. We're thinking about a period of time that we have. And, and a lot of people get caught up with misunderstanding that word. And truly, if, if you look at it and see it in the biblical sense, it simply means God has put me as a steward for this mission. He's stewarded me to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we see this in this passage of Scripture, this biblical ideal of the word dispensation, we see that it is not necessarily a period of time, but it's a responsibility for me to do something. God has given me this dispensation to preach to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel. He was given the responsibility of talking about Jesus Christ to people who had never heard him before. I, I think that we need to understand something here today. One of the greatest facts of Christianity, of following Jesus Christ, is that we've been given the precious things of Jesus Christ not to hoard them. <laughs> we're not spiritual preppers where we're just hoarding up the blessings of God, right? No, no. What we've been given are the blessings of God so in turn we can share Jesus Christ with people around us. 
Is there anybody here and in Friendswood that's been blessed by God? Let me just see your hand. Clap your hands to the Lord if you've been blessed. I have been blessed. I, I just sometimes I get to the place where I start counting my blessings and I'm overwhelmed at all that God has done for me. I am blessed. How many of you will agree with me that, that we're blessed beyond what we deserve? We're blessed beyond what we could even imagine. And, and in this blessing, there is a responsibility that I take those blessings and I share them with other people. And that's what Paul is saying here. I've, this dispensation where I need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he, he talks about mystery here. And this, this is something that, that many people get thrown by. What, what are you talking about, a mystery? And, and, and I know that in, in the, our, our world we live in, the, the mystery genre, it's, it's all about a puzzle that we have to put the pieces together. And, and if we're, we've got enough Sherlock Holmes in us, we can figure it out. We can come to the answer. That, that's not the mystery that Paul is talking about here. The mystery that Paul is talking about is the plan of God that is revealed to us at the right time and at the right place. And nobody can figure that out until the time comes that Jesus reveals it, that God reveals it. And, and we see that throughout the Bible, how God revealed his plan at a certain time. Even though there were foreshadowings of it or there were, there were hints that it was going to happen, it's only at the time that Christ allows, the only time that God ordains that those things are revealed. And when Paul's talking about this mystery in verse 3, 4, and 5, he, he's really just saying now it's been revealed and when we get to chapter 6, this is where I want you to look, read with me. We look at chapter 6 and 7, and this is the great mystery of God's purpose and God's plan revealed to humanity, revealed to us today. And Paul is telling all of these at the church in Ephesus, this is what God has been planning. This is what God wants and now it is revealed. Let's just start in verse number six. This is the mystery revealed that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effecting, effective working of his power. Amen. Here's the mystery revealed. Friends would, here it is that the Gentiles and the Jews are one in the same body. Now, now I know that doesn't seem like an earth-shattering revelation. As a matter of fact, it's 2,000-year-old news to us now, but we need to have an understanding of how shocking it was during that day and during that time. How earth-shattering it was for those Gentiles to hear that they were now fellow heirs with the Jews and that they were all part of one body. And, and, and I think sometimes we miss what Paul is saying and what Jesus Christ accomplished. I think many times what we think is that the Gentiles now have become Jews in nature or Jews in Belief and, and really what the Lord is doing is just continuing the Old Testament into the New Testament. I want you to put that thought down 
that's false, that's not what's being done here. What Jesus is doing is creating a completely new creation. The church is not a continuation of the Old Testament. No, the church is a new creation that is going to be beautiful in the world. And he's going to take all people and make them one body. Amen. All people. Now, it means to these Gentiles that are reading this scripture that, that I don't have to convert to Judaism. I, I don't have to go through the circumcision. I don't have to be ruled by Jewish tradition. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to go through all the rules and the regulations. I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Is anyone thankful for the blood of Jesus? I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm not saved by the laws of the Old Testament and I'm not saved by the regulations of the Old Testament and I'm not saved by what the Pharisees say and I'm not saved what my Jewish tradition says. I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and I am fellow heir. In other words, I am legally entitled to be a part of the family of God no matter where I come from, what nationality I am, I am now a part of the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now Paul's already been talking about this. If we look back into the second chapter, let's start reading in chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together. Everybody say together talking about Jews and Gentiles, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's stay in that same chapter. Jump down to verse number 19. Now therefore, everybody say now therefore. That just means uh, here it is. Here's the fact. Because of all of this happened, this is the results. We are no longer strangers. Amen. We're no longer foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In other words, all of this is built on Jesus Christ in whom the whole building, Jews and Gentiles together, being lifted together, grow into the holy temple of the Lord. Amen. That's what the church is, the holy temple of the Lord, in whom you're also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Yes, I know that God dwells in us individually, but the power of God and the wisdom of God is made known to the world by the fact that the church is a place where God dwells and the presence of God dwells and his presence is with us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, this is what I have seen about the church. In all of the years that I've studied, in all of the years that I've preached, this is the thing that I have seen over and over again. In order for us to really see who we are, the church, who we are, and, and where we need to go, and what we need to become, and what the church needs to look like, we have to look back on the Bible and see the intent, the purpose of God 
in informing the church and the purpose of how those early Christians lived who, who had received the Spirit and who were walking in the ways of God. And, and one of the first things we recognize is that when they were converted, when they were baptized, when they were filled with the Spirit, when they started walking in faith, they put aside their nationalities. They put aside anything that would divide them between God. Now, that doesn't mean that they weren't good citizens. If you look at the New Testament, you find they were good citizens. They obeyed the laws. They, they, they fulfilled their duties as a citizen. But they first and foremost thought of themselves as citizens of heaven, as, as citizens of this kingdom that God was bringing, hallelujah. As a matter of fact, if you look at the early writings, you'll find that this first church described themselves as a third race. So, so basically, in the religious realm of that world, it was Jews and Gentiles. It was, that, that was the division. They were saying, we're not Jews, we're not Gentiles, we are children of God. We are a part of a, a, a called out people. We are part of a holy nation. And, and I love looking and reading because this is what I find. I find that those early Christians were different. That they didn't fit in and, and their difference was very intentional. Everybody say intentional. And, and, and when people became Christians, when they started following Jesus, this is what would happen. Instead of their life being oriented around their work, instead of their lives being oriented around their hobbies, instead of their lives being oriented around pleasure, this is what I see in the scripture, that their lives became oriented around living life together for Jesus Christ. But they became a, a group of people, a powerful church that turned the world upside down and, and the church and the members of the church, not necessarily a building, but the assembly together became the center of the world. This is what they were known for. They, they, they were known for praying together and praying for each other. Amen. Does anybody believe in the power of prayer? We, we should be praying for one another. We should be praying together. We should be seeking God to, to move. And, and I know right now we're in a little bit of a tra tra transition with, with our properties. And, and it's difficult to find a place uh, uh, every Saturday. But, but I think that prayer is very important. And I just call on you right now as members of this church. Let's pray. And while we may not be in the same building, we're praying together because we're praying for God's will for life church to be accomplished. We may be in Friendswood or we may be in Houston or, or, or just in a few months, we may be at the League City campus, but this is what we're praying for. We're praying for God to use us and for the will of God to be done. Let, let me tell you something else they were known for. They were known for gathering together on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. They were known to gather together and worship God. I, I know some of you that are watching online, 
you, you've gotten out of the habit of a coming to church. You've, you've gotten out of the habit of, of driving to a building and, and going in. And, and, and I'm thankful that you're watching online. I'm thankful that we've had that option throughout this pandemic. But this is what I would tell you. It's a substitute and it should not become a permanent substitute. It should be something that we use when we need it and when we have to have it. But as soon as possible, this is what I believe. We should gather together again physically, lifting holy hands and worshiping God. And so I just encourage you, I encourage you as your pastor, if you're watching and you've not returned, start making plans to come back to the house of the Lord and be together because that's the way that it has always been. Amen. I'm thankful for technology. Anybody thankful for technology? I'm also very well aware that technology can destroy us if we don't have it in the right place in our life. If we're not careful. Because what I've seen out of the technology is it's really driven for us to be social, uh, um, uh, for us to, to be selfish, social selfish people. A lot of the social media that I see is all about me. It's all about me getting the likes and me getting the comments. And it's all about me having a certain image. And, and we can't play into that narcissistic culture of the world. It's never about me. It's always about Jesus. I, I, I kind of think I missed that because that was lukewarm. I'm not scolding you. I just don't know if you understand what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying, that it's easy to use technology for my convenience and to avoid the things that God really wants to accomplish in my life. There's something that only happens in the room when we're together. It doesn't happen when we're spread apart watching online. I'm thankful that you're watching online, but I believe that it's important for us to celebrate and worship together. Be because another thing that they were known for that's very difficult to do if we're only watching online is they cared for one another. They cared for one another. Well, how can I care for somebody if I don't see them? How can I care for somebody if I don't talk to them? How can I care for somebody if I don't know what their needs are, know what they're going through? So it's important that we look back and we see how this church became so glued together. So they, they walked together, they prayed together, they worshiped together, they celebrated together, and they cared for one another. Amen. And you know what made them different? This was what made them different. In a world that is divided by race, in a world that is divided by politics, in a world that is divided by economies and, and, and your, whatever you're doing, there is a place where everybody stands equal. Everybody stands as a fellow heir of God, as everybody stands as a son or a daughter of God, and that's in the church. And so by being intentionally different, this is what we're doing. We're creating a culture that is countercultural to the selfishness of the world, but is instead a part of a beautiful plan that God has to show forth his grace to every person. Amen to show forth his grace. 
And I, I love the reading through the epistles because what I see in the epistles, what I see in the book of Acts is, is they endured difficult times and they supported each other when they went through difficult times. And, and their support many times came at a great price. They were willing to pay that price because they fully understood how the Lord's love flowed through the church. They fully were willing to pay that price because they knew that nobody else would. Instead of striving to blend in the world around them, they were striving to be disciples of Jesus Christ together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. They were striving to know what the Word of God had to say. They were striving to know what God wanted to accomplish in their life and, 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 and how to discipline themselves to walk according to what God wants to accomplish. I, I think one of the great things that have happened in the world that has been destructive is our inability to concentrate the way that we should and, and to really focus on things the way that past generations were able to focus on. And, and it's because our focus, our concentration has been under attack. It's been under attack. It, it, it's been manipulated by news sources and social media sources. And I'm not, I'm not up here trying to bash all that. I'm not up here trying to be crazy and say, throw your phones away. Don't get on that. I'm just wanting you to understand that there is something that is at work in the world today that is diminishing our ability to concentrate and focus. And this is what I feel like. I feel like that the answer to that is to immerse ourselves into the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to memorize the Word of God, to let the Word of God feed our souls. And when that happens, according to what the Scripture says, it renews our mind. It renews our ability to really be in this moment. Paul, as he's writing here, He's letting them know you are partakers of the promise of Christ. In other words, you Gentiles, God made promises to the Jews all the way back when he started with uh, Adam, all the way back when he started with Abraham. Uh, promises that were um, confirmed when he talked to Moses and, and on and on and on. And, and for all of these years, you Gentiles have been outside of those promises of God. But now you have entered into the new covenant by faith and you share the promises of God. I'm thankful today that when I open my Bible, I have those promises of God and I know that they are for me just as they were for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. I'm glad that I know that he'll never leave me. I'm glad that I know that his love is everlasting. And I'm glad that I see in this context, this scripture, this partakers of these promises is referring um, to the, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. The salvation that is proclaimed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is what happens. Everybody listen to me for just a minute. I know you're having a conversation here on the front row. You're loud. Just calm down just a little bit. When we're standing at the foot of Jesus Christ, this is what happens. We're at equal footing. There's nobody that's standing on a podium. There's nobody that's lifted up. 
There's nobody that's more important. When we stand at the cross of Jesus Christ, this is what we stand at. We stand at equal ground. We're all equal. We're all sons and daughters. But that's, that's, what I, that's what I despise about people that think that they are super, they're spiritually superior than other people. That they, they've lost their, the understanding of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And when somebody, I'm not talking about leaders that are leading us to spiritual maturity. I'm talking about people that look down their nose at us because we're not spiritually, uh, 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 we don't have the spirituality that they have. They, they don't understand at the cross of Jesus Christ, there's not a first place stand and a second place stand and a third place stand at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's equal ground. We're all the same. It doesn't matter if we're a Jew. And it doesn't matter if we're a Gentile. We stand at the throne of Jesus as equal. Now, now the inclusion of the Gentiles, I want to go back to this mystery. The inclusion of the Gentiles in in God's purpose, it it was alluded to in the Old Testament. Even in Jesus' ministry, he talked about it. Peter, as he gave these proclamations of who Jesus was, he, he somehow touched on it. But it was still mysterious and unclear. And it only became clear in the moment that Christ gave himself on the cross. That veil was ripped in two. And therefore is letting us know that everyone now can come into the presence of God. The good news of the redemption and the reconciliation of God is now given both to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Listen to verse number eight. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, just turn to your neighbor and say unsearchable, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, now let, let's just take a minute here. I see the time. I'm okay. You don't, don't get nervous. Uh, this is what Paul says. I'm least, less than the least. I'm less than the least. Here's the apostle Paul who has already proclaimed that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ, who has already received this dispensation of grace to preach to the Gentiles. And yet, what does he say? I am the least of everyone. This is what I think. I think that Paul was constantly troubled by his past, constantly troubled by the fact that he tortured members of the church. I'm not going to take time to go into it. Read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 16 if you want to. It's in my notes on version, but, but I won't go into reading it. But he, I think he was constantly tormented with the fact that did I cause somebody to blaspheme Jesus Christ and, and maybe they haven't made their way back. I'm the least. I, I'm the least of all, all of you. There, there, there's no comparison. But even in that state where he was considering himself less than the least, he knew that he had purpose. He knew that this grace had been given to him and that, that, that all had been given this grace, but that he had been given this grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Unsearchable. Now, that, that's kind of a, a word that's not very common to us since 1998 when Google said, here I am, ask me a question. 
I mean, we can just type about anything in and we'll get an answer. It may not always be right, but we're going to get an answer. But Paul makes a declaration here that is so powerful that this message of Jesus Christ and the riches of his glory and the riches of his love towards us are unfathomable. We, we can't even comprehend it. We cannot ex exhaust the riches of Jesus Christ. And I know that there's a lot of preachers that, that have really, and I really believe this is what God has called us preachers to do, is to declare the riches of Jesus Christ to believers and to let you know what an incredible life that God has for you to live. And I think it's important for us to understand the greatness of our position in the Lord. Listen, Jesus is greater than everything else and he has made me his son. Jesus is greater than everything else and he's called me and he's called you and he saved us. Jesus is greater than everything and he has called us into this incredible position of knowing him. Amen. I, I think that somehow we have lost the, 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 the intensity of what should come with that knowledge. We actually are children of the one who is greater than everything else. And so why would we live in fear? Why would we live in doubt? My God has the answer. Jesus is able. I, I have to tell you that sometimes I laugh at people when they say, well, I, I, I'd like to come to church, but, but there, there's just so much I'd have to give up and, and there's so much I'd have to change. And, and I have to laugh at them because this is what I believe. Jesus never subtracts from your life. He always enriches your life. Coming to Jesus. Oh, my, I feel the preach in the house right now. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean that I'm going to live a lesser life. Coming to Jesus means I'm going to live a greater life. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean that I am somehow uh, uh, socially inept or I'm not a part. Coming to Jesus means I'm a, a part of the greatest kingdom that has ever lived or will ever live and that my king is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh my goodness, I'm thankful to be a part of the church of the living God. I'm thankful that I know who Jesus is. I'm thankful that I know that He is greater than anything else. He's greater. Does anybody believe that He's greater? Does anybody believe that He's greater than Russia? Let me see your hand. You believe He's greater than Russia? Anybody believe that he's greater than the United States of America? Anybody believe that he's greater than anything? Jesus is the greatest of all time, and he is my father. He's greater. Just turn to your neighbor and say, he's greater. He's greater. He's greater than anything I'm going to face. He's greater than any sickness. Say it with me. He's greater than any sickness. Hallelujah. He's greater than any devil. Say it with me. He's greater than any devil. He's greater than any problem.
problem. He's greater than any catastrophe. He's greater than anything. My God is greater. <laughs> hey, don't come in and tell me I'm living a life that's subpar. Don't tell me I'm coming in, come in and tell me, oh, you're missing so much. My goodness, Jesus has enriched my life from the beginning to now. Every moment with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. He is worth it. These are the unsearchable riches that are being offered to the Gentiles. Come right on in and be a part of the family of God. Come right on in and be a part of what God wants to do. And think about the Gentiles, especially those that lived in that area around the Mediterranean where the Jews had been dispersed and where they knew the Jewish customs and the, the Jewish laws. And, and this is what the message of the Jewish people were. This is what their message was. Stay out. Stay out. We're the chosen people of God. Stay out. There's a veil that divides us from the Holy of Holies in the presence of God and only our priests can go in. Stay out. Stay out. This is the kosher lifestyle that we live in. And, and, and if you're eating catfish and, and, you're eating, and you're eating crawfish, and, and I feel like I'm preaching to Louisianians now. My Lord, somebody just told me that there's a restaurant down by my way that is a New Orleans-style restaurant, and, and I told Cheese Angelatas, I'm taking a break, buddy. I'm going to get me some jambalaya. <laughs> just, just think about how those Jewish people for all of those years have been told, no, you don't eat right, stay out. Think about how they have been told there's so many rules to the Sabbath. Stay out. There's a temple you can't enter. Stay out. There's all of these regulations. Stay out. I don't like that message because I don't believe that's the message of Jesus Christ. And, and this is what happened. The Gentiles heard that message. They heard the message of stay out loud and clear. They knew that they were excluded. And that's why Paul's revelation of the ministry that we are fellow heirs was so amazing because now they understand I can walk in the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ that have been offered freely. Amen. This is blessing me if nobody else is getting anything out of it. Pastors being blessed. I've even stomped my feet a few times here. Amen. Verse 9. And to make all see what the fellowship of the mystery, the fellowship, the koinonia, the coming together of Jewish and Gentile people, and no longer are they Gentile, and no longer are they Jewish. Now they are followers of Jesus Christ. And to make see all what the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. In other words, this was the plan from the beginning. Now it's being revealed. Verse number 10, to the intent that now, I'm, I'm going to spend the rest of my time preaching here. Verse 13, I just have a little bit of time there. So, so I want you to listen to this. To the intent that now, everybody say now. 
the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purchase, a purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. One body, and, and, and here's the reason that this one body has come together. Everybody listen to this. This is the reason for the church. Everybody say, this is the reason for the church. That the manifold wisdom of God should be seen by all. God, you're so wise. How many of you will agree with me that God has all wisdom? God, put it on, put it on display. God, show your wisdom to the world around us. And God's saying, hey guys, I am. I'm showing my wisdom through you. The purpose of the church is to show forth the wisdom of God, both the temporal and eternal, according to the scripture that I just read. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? What are, what are you talking about? It means that, that from a practical standpoint, this manifold, or, or another word for it would be multicolored, uh, wisdom of God, just how, how he's wisdom in every area. Uh, I, I just want to let you in on a secret. God's wisdom is sufficient for any situation that the world faces. There's not a situation that the world is facing right now that the wisdom of God doesn't have the answer for. Because remember what we said, Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is greater than everything. And, and there's nothing that catches God's wisdom off guard. There's no time that he's surprised. There's, there's, there's no sun coming up or lightning storm or, or there's no sunshine or shadow. Nothing for which God's wisdom is not completely adequate for, sufficient for, able to cover. And in God's plan, that wisdom is made known by us. The wisdom is made known by us. So when the world is divided by race in the church, there should be love for one another because we are brothers and sisters. And the world can look into the church and see the wisdom of God. When the world is divided by philosophies and by politics and by all these other things, the church should be united in the purpose of Jesus Christ so that the world can look in and see the incredible purpose and wisdom of God. I don't know, somehow we got to the place where church was just a place where we gathered together. But when I look at this passage of scripture, this is what I see, that the principalities and the powers in heavenly places are both, both fallen and faithful, are looking in at the church with amazement and they're seeing the wisdom of God there that they don't see in the heavenlies. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. What a world are you talking about? These angels have seen God in his glory. They've sang holy, holy, holy. They've covered their eyes when they've flown around the throne. Yes, I know that they have seen revelations that we haven't seen, but the thing that they have never experienced that we are rich in is the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ and the love of God living in our heart. Oh my goodness, when I thank of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me. My goodness, when I think about it, when I think about it,
When I think about what we are, when I think about what we should be, when I think about how that the church is to demonstrate to all of those powers of the evil, all those angelic beings of the goodness of God, when I think about how we should be the, the, the light to the world that around, arounds us, that there's, there, we should be united and unified in the goodness of God. And every time I look, I see that the church tries to divide itself over and over and over again. I don't understand it. I don't understand it because people get so full of their selves that they elevate their self. They elevate their little doctrine above what Jesus is trying to accomplish in the world around us. Did you know that there are angels all around us? Did you know that they're looking in on this service today? (laughs) We know that the Lord is here, but there are angels that are looking in on us. There's devils that are looking in on us. Why? Because they don't understand the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is where God is going to teach them. Don't argue with me about it. Take it up with the apostle Paul. That's what he said. He's the one that said it. I'm just a preacher here preaching it. Well, I don't, I don't, there's angels all around. Yeah, there's angels all around. When we're in need, there's angels all around. They're dispatched from the heavenlies. I, I could go into Elisha and Dotham and opening the eyes of the servant. Second Kings chapter six, I'm not going to because my time is short. But, but they see us perfectly. And the reason that we are such a conundrum to them is because they look upon us and they see that we are created in the image of God. The angels aren't com- uh, created in the image of God. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that. We are created in the image of God. How intriguing that must be to them when they look at us. And you know what they see? They see our weaknesses. They see our sin. They see our failings. They see our problems. But in the midst of all of that, do you know what else they see? They see that we have faith in a God that we have never seen. They see him, but we have faith in him. I, I, I hope that I'm preaching to a church that has faith in God to see us through any situation. And when we have that type of faith, when we believe in a God that we've never even seen, we are giving a witness to the principalities and powers of this world, of, this, uh, of, of eternity. They see our worship. They see our giving. They see our service. And this is the thing that I think blows their mind. That we are children of the living God. I think we forget that. And yes, the angels fly around the throne. And yes, they sing holy, holy, holy. And yes, they cover their eyes because of the incredible presence of the Lord. But this is what they don't understand. That we can boldly walk into the throne room of God, sit on our Father's lap and say, Daddy, this is what I need today. Oh, I don't, I don't think you caught that. Let me preach that for just another minute. They stand back because they are in awe of His holiness but he has made a way through Jesus Christ 
where we can come in and sit down with him and tell him about our needs. And even with all of our faults and our failures, he doesn't zap us. He doesn't kill us. He doesn't cast us aside. But his love for us is everlasting. And he forgives us. And he helps us. And he covers us. And I'm thankful I know who Jesus is. Paul talked about it in the book of Hebrews. I think he's the author of that book. This is what he said. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The holiest. The place where no one else would tread. The place where the priest, when he would go in, would have to have a rope tied around him in case he fell dead, they could pull him out. This is where we go without any type of hesitation. We boldly go into the holiest place by the new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh Jesus dying here I'm dying and as I die and as I shed my blood I am making a way for humanity to come to the throne of God having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near everybody say draw near this is where the church should be we should be drawing near this is where the church should be we shouldn't be distracted by Trump or Biden this is where the church should be we shouldn't be distracted by Democrats or Republicans and listen you do what you want to do with your politics I don't care anything about it if you believe one politician you're a fool in my opinion they're all liars forgive me I take that back. I take that back. I'm sure they're speaking the truth according to what they know. So they're probably good people. They're on their dogma. They're on their thing. I, I, don't, I don't mind that stuff. I, I think that's part of the world that we live in. But I am never going to let it be superior to the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life. And I am never going to let it divide me from a brother or from a sister. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to preach a political gospel when the gospel that I preach is more powerful than any political party or any country or any nation or any dogma or any way of thinking. Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is greater than everything. I draw near with a true heart. I, I, draw, I draw near. I, I, I come in full assurance of faith. I, I, I come. And, and this is the thing that I just am blown away with. They're watching. And one of the things that they watch is they see our potential. We don't see it. We, we don't. I, I am fully convinced that the church in America has lost sight of the potential of revivals, lost sight of the potential of the power of God. Listen, the power of God is greater than anything. Jesus conquered it all. Jesus conquered it all. This is the message. Stand with me. I know you're ready for me to quit. I'm going to preach for a few more minutes. But because you're standing, you'll feel better about it. You'll, you'll... This is what I don't understand. How we've lost the vision of the church when the angels... Hey, those beings that are watching according to what Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, they're not 15 years old. They're not 30 years old. They're not 100 years old. They are eternal beings. They were there when God called the earth into existence. 
They've seen it all. They've seen the history of the church. They know the potential of a group of people that love our Father unconditionally and give everything to Him. They know the potential of the church. And you know what they're doing? They're watching what we do together. (laughs) They're watching. They're watching. They're watching when we come in and we love one another. They're watching when we see when they see that we're not going to let racial barriers separate us. They're watching when they see we're not going to let philosophies of the world divide us. They're watching that. They're they're seeing that. The manifold wisdom of God is being shown that the Gentiles and the Jews are one and that we are a complete new creation in Jesus Christ. I haven't done this in a long time, but I'm going to do it today. Can, can I have five more minutes? <laughs> okay. For, for all of you that voted no, I'm sorry. I didn't hear your vote. So I'm taking five more minutes. This is what I see. I see that they have learned from my trials. I've gone through some trials. Let me just see the hand of everybody in the Houston campus, everybody in Friendswood, you've ever gone through a trial. And and you learn from it. You you learn from it. This is what I've come to, to understand. They've seen it. And as I've learned, they've learned. It's hard to imagine that we could teach angels something, but you know what we're teaching them? We're teaching them the faith and the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. This this is another thing that I've come to resolve in my mind that that they see the struggles of the church and they've learned from the struggles of the church. And, And, you know, sometimes the struggles of the church are made well known, plastered all over the world for everyone to see this leader has fallen, this organization has split. This, that's something that is trumpeted around the world. But the steadfast belief and faith of the individual person that lives for God, no matter what, they're not rattled, they're not shaken, their bedrock faith in Jesus Christ has never been challenged. That's what the world doesn't see, but that's what the angels see. That's what the angels see. They see that faith. They see that. They see that Jesus is greater. They see that in our love for one another, that Jesus is greater than race. When race wants to rip, race tensions wants to rip the world apart, there's always going to be a church where we love one another like brothers and sisters. We love one another like brothers and sisters. They see it. Let me close with verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. (laughs) At this moment, Paul doesn't look like much, does he? He's imprisoned. According to his own writing, he's, he's not a man of very big stature, so he's probably a pretty short guy. The other things that we read is that his eyes probably didn't work very good, so he's probably always squinting, you know. He carried a, a, a heavy load and, and was uh, beaten and stoned, and 
So he probably has some limps and maybe even a a little bent over. He doesn't look like much. (laughs) Don't lose heart at my tribulations for you. Don't, Don't lose heart because even though I don't look like much and I'll just take that and and bring it home for us today. Even though me as your pastor doesn't look like much. Even though we as the church doesn't, doesn't look like much. When we consider the culture around us. Don't lose heart. <laughs> because you know the words that he was writing in that prison. Are the very words that I'm preaching to you from today. The words that he wrote in that prison. Thousands and thousands of pastors around the globe are preaching from those words today. Thousands and thousands of preachers are, are, are preaching from the book of Ephesians chapter 3. I don't, I mean, I don't have a number, but I, I know it, it just has to happen. If they're not preaching from Ephesians, they're, they're preaching from Philippians. If they're not preaching from Philippians, they're, they're preaching from Philemon. They're, they're, they're preaching from words that he wrote when he was in these tribulations. This is the message that I want to bring home. Close it out. I know you're ready, and I think my five minutes are... We've got 30 seconds left. (laughs) Don't lose heart. Because bigger things are happening than we realize. And God is working when we don't see Him working. And God is moving when we don't see Him moving. And I want to just say a word here in the Holy Ghost to everyone that is going through a tribulation. Friends, would everyone that's going through a tribulation, everyone that's fighting for your marriage, everyone that's fighting for your children, don't lose heart in your tribulations because Jesus is greater than everything. He's greater than every problem. He's greater than every situation. And I want the prayer team to come.